to a fault, we would work with young people on how's your prayer life? What are you doing? How are you growing daily? How are you using your phone as an instrument of faith? What does it mean to frequent the sacraments? How are you growing? If your prayer life when you're 17 is the same as when you were 16, I failed you. Hey guys, this is Nick, and that voice you're just hearing was the voice of Doug Took, the Vice President of Ministry and Advancement for ODB Films. ODB Films brought you the feature film Paul Apostle of Christ and Full of Grace. Maybe you've seen it. Um, Paul Apostle of Christ was a feature film with Jim Caviezel, the same guy who starred in the Passion of the Christ movie. Doug and me met at a conference and realized we actually both worked for the same pastor at certain points in our life. I still work for that pastor that he once worked for. And we hit it off, and he's been a really great friend of mine and great mentor of mine for the past couple of years. Doug always adds a ton of value to my life, and in this episode, there was no different. He just gives so much knowledge and so many golden nuggets for people who work in ministry and evangelization at churches, and so I really think you're going to love this episode. So if you love it, please leave a review, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Well, Doug, welcome to the Nick Longo Show. I'm excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Um, So we met under some interesting circumstances. Basically, I went to uh, the Life Teen Catholic Youth Ministry Convention, and I saw you up there on stage. The first year I was there giving us talk in a, in a kilt. And I remember when you walked out right. on stage. I mean, who doesn't I, wear a kilt when they give a talk at a Life Teen conference? Yeah, it's totally <laughs> like the, the regular thing in the States, for sure. <laughs> so you walk out, and I was like, what, am I, what are we all in for here? But then the talk was incredible. I was really blown away with it. I loved it. Um, I remember you talking about that one kid in your youth group walking up um, with the Eucharist for you, and that was really powerful. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe we could talk about that a little bit later. But I remember after the fact, I went home, and that talk had really struck me, and my parish priest uh, asked me, so what, what stuck out to you from the conference? And the first thing I said was, oh, this guy, Doug Took, you know, he just gave this really powerful talk. It was really, really engaging, and I just thought it was great. And he goes, oh, I know Doug. I hired him a, a few years back as my youth <laughs> it's minister. True. It's yeah, true. Yeah, I, oh. I was blown away. I was so pumped. It was encouraging for me because, you know, being, uh, being his youth minister now, I was like, yes. It means he saw something in me that he saw in you, and I thought your oh, talk was awesome. Wow. Oh, so it was a nice actually, compliment. Thank you. It was a game changer, man. I was excited to, to to hear that. So, welcome to the show. You, yeah, thanks. This is a treat. You do a lot of different stuff. You have a podcast, a couple podcasts. You yeah. you work for ODB Films. Yep. Um, where it was involved with Paul Apostle of Christ and um, have a long career in youth ministry and have done some stuff with Life Teens. So tell the listeners who you are so they can kind of get some context to you. Yeah, wowza. Uh, yeah, no, I'm the, I'm the vice president of ODB Films uh, full-time. I mean, that's that's my full-time gig. I don't, I, don't do, um, I don't do like anything on the side necessarily. So all my speaking, my work with Life Teen is all through ODB Films, which is a treat. Um, but no, I come, out of, I come out of parish youth ministry and, uh, and then multi-parish youth ministry, which as you know is really growing. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of youth ministers are working in clusters of parishes, whether they want to or not, that's kind of the new reality. So I do a lot of training and writing in that space. Uh, but then, but then also I, I was a diocesan director for, for 10 years and, uh, had a brilliant, just a wonderful opportunity there. Um, and then transitioned into working with a lot of, uh, 
apostolic movements that I really liked. Um, I, I love what Life Teen does. I, I love what ODB Films does. When I transitioned out of being a Dawson director, I just reached out to those companies and they both kind of said, yeah, come do some work for us. And then eventually I um, was able to go full time with ODB and it's been, whew, it's a game changer, man. That is a, that media space is, is just, it's remarkable. The amount of opportunity, but also the amount of reach. You know, we know that about 7 million people saw Paul, the apostle of Christ. And uh, I think in my wildest dreams, I never would have thought I would have been a part of a, a ministry that could reach so many hearts and then, and then yeah. be so affirming in that way. And of course we've got multiple projects brewing now, but I mean, it's exciting to have such a big one coming out of the gate and then being able to complement that with other efforts, which is cool. That's awesome. So I want to dive into kind of step-by-step your ministry experience, time at the parish, time at the diocese and time at ODB films. And what is the difference sure. between your parish life, your ministry life um, and, and ODB films. But before we do that, tell me, you kind of just talked about how you see the power of the media for the sure. church. Tell me about that, because that's something I'm really passionate about and I think is a game changer for the church using media. Yeah, I think uh, I just think accessibility is a gift, right, Nick? I mean, we live in a day and age where we can share the gospel in a pretty profound way. We can also share a lot of crap. I mean, yeah. that's that's I mean, that's the way it's always been. There's always been loudmouth people that distract people from the path of the Lord or just the spiritual life. But I, I mean, I think that we have the opportunity to really gift people, all people, not just young people with great messaging and great affirming uh, guidance and inspiration. Uh, and I believe in it. Um, I do think there's a lot of garbage out there. Um, I think that the people that are really good at it are really good at it and yeah. reach a ton of people. I love seeing people pour a lot of financial resources into um, media space that is clearly touching the hearts of young people, clearly touching the hearts of adults. There's clearly, there's obviously a gift there and I love to be a part of it. We're, we're in a pretty unique position at ODB. I mean, we get to do a lot of things, um, but we're always trying to get better at what we're doing because we believe so thoroughly in what the mission of what we're trying to accomplish, which is exciting. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Christine and I, we just uh, launched a big uh, ministry of ours that we're passionate about, the Longo Collective. And one of the things we're going to be doing is helping parishes and, and dioceses reach out to uh, their, their communities through social media, especially and, and mm-hmm. websites development and all that type of stuff. Um, but we were talking about how, you know, last day, yesterday, we did a big launch live stream. And we talked about how, you know, you remember the uh, Catholics Come Home uh, oh sure, the, oh, yeah. the, that huge campaign, and it was aired on everywhere on the TV, and it yeah. really worked. It brought a lot of people back. Yeah. Um, then which they was, left again, and they they <laughs> left again. Uh, unfortunately, we have to yeah. find something sustainable at the parish. Um, but we were talking about how, like a campaign like that, I don't wonder if it would work on television now with the, how people just kind of tune out of the TV when the commercial comes on, and instead are on their phone. You know, now that that type of a campaign would have to be online. Yeah. Or, you know, or, you know, or create a really mission driven community. I mean, I, 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 I used to think that when you created media, you needed to find the right outlet for, um, for it to live. And there is still truth to that. Certainly cable, you know, 25 years ago, cable television changed that. But, you know, honestly, you know, platforms like Vimeo and YouTube have changed that again. Yeah. Um, Because like there are, there are producing, there are production companies that make television shows that are exclusive to YouTube and they're making a good living. Yeah. Like they're, it's not like they're like living on the margins. They are, they are living in the fr- in, in the center of great media production, but that's what it takes. You know, it takes great production to yeah. stimulate an audience that says, yeah, this is worth my time. I want to watch this. I want to learn about this. You know, Father Mike Schmitz has done this. Yeah. Bishop Barron does this. You know, there's great personalities out there that are constantly generating great creative 
content that people should check out and grow. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know what Baron, I know what Baron's accomplishing with his monthly subscriptions financially, and he's creating a long-term sustainable outlet for great media. And I don't yeah. think that that market is saturated, but I do think that the bar is very high. Super it's high. not, it's, it's not going to be a college kid with a handy cam. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be that it's going to be well-produced and it should be, it should be that it should, it should be a difficult thing yeah. to make that stuff great because it always has been. And that, that draws people into greatness. And I like that. And I like being a part of it too. It's pretty fun. And, and Christ deserves that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Credible witnessing comes from sacrifice. So that's, that's absolutely. a beautiful gift. No, I love that. So, all right. So you started off your career as a parish youth minister, correct? It's true. Yeah. So 1998, St. Matthews, Kalispell, Montana. How did that happen? Tell me about you getting into sure. parish life. Sure. Uh, yeah, I lost a bet at a bar. And uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so, no, I was, uh, you know, I was a theology philosophy major in undergrad, double majored in unemployment. God love it. And uh, I was a camp counselor. And uh, my one of my mentors and, and my boss at the time, he was the youth minister there. And uh, he kind of cornered me and just said, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm chasing another career. Would you be interested in this? And I was so dumb and young and... I just had no idea that that was even a thing. And you got to remember, too, in the 90s, those types of paid positions were actually pretty rare. And by paid, I mean $17,500 a year paid. So not paid well, but at least paid. (laughs) Um, And I loved it. I loved using my little undergrad degree, and I loved using my ministry experience to be with young people, and I loved being with young people. So I jumped on it, I interviewed, and I got the job. And it was like January of my senior year in college. So I thought I was like living the dream. Like I was graduating college with a theology degree and I already had a job that's unheard of. Winning. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I jumped into that full force and, uh, and it was a good experience for me. And within a month of working there, some family friends at the parish that I had grown up in, in Sumner, Washington, South of Seattle, uh, they were like, Whoa, he's doing youth ministry. I wonder if he would be our youth minister. <laughs> and this was a much bigger parish way more opportunity, but I'd only been at this new job for a month. And they called and said, would you come and interview? And I was like, no, I I just started a job. I'm committed. They were like, listen, we'll fly you out. Just interview. Just see if you want to do it. So I did with nothing to lose. I mean, I was like, sure, I'll fly to Seattle for the weekend. This sounds fun. And I showed up and I interviewed with nothing to lose. And they offered me the job on the spot. And I was like, I can't, no, I can't do this. I'm committed (laughs) to this position. And they said, well, we'll keep it open for you for the year. And you could come start the following summer. And that was Father Tom Bilek. That's your yeah. current boss. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I had to sit with that for about a month. And I was thinking, okay, I'm a young youth minister. I'm in a parish community with a very established tradition, a very talented director of religious education. But this new parish is basically saying, here's a tabula rasa. Come in here <laughs> and create. And I'll tell you what, as a young, as a 22-year-old uh, turning 23 that year, I, I, that was attractive to me. Like, wow, for come sure. in and create. And so I did. So I I took the position and I moved and did that for two years and got to be a part of an extraordinary time. Um, And then the diocesan director that was back here in Montana, where I live now, he created a job for me with nine parishes uh, and said, would you come back? Would you manage these nine? And then that was how I came back to Montana. So how did that conversation, how did that go? Like your friend, like you knew this guy who was the diocesan director and then yep. he, he was like, you know, saw what you were doing and then called you back to Montana. Or yeah. What? I mean, we had maintained, I, I, we had maintained our relationship and, uh, his Deacon Dan McGrath is his name, a dear friend and a mentor. 
and uh, he really he was so creative. He was so ahead of his time. He he knew that these rural small parishes could be great together, and that by by using some grant money and taking whatever financial resources they could invest, that we could create something in a very rural, very remote part of Montana that was going to be special. And uh, I mean, it was a $10,000 pay cut. I mean, like he he was coming at me with a job, but he wasn't dangling money in front of me. He was like, do you want to come back to Montana for $10,000 less a year? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> uh, but at the time I was engaged and my fiance was a Montana girl. And when I mentioned the idea, she just looked at me and just wept. And she was like, I would love to go back home. And I said, okay, let's make it happen. And we did. And uh, I'll tell you what, boy, you want to talk about, there was no, the bar, there was no bar. There was no, no one was doing, when I was stepping into that position in in 2001, I was not able to find a lot of colleagues that were doing that. So I got to be just super creative. I was definitely a coordinator, but I was also very much a minister to some of those young people. And of course we did a lot of development with events and things. And of course we made a ton of mistakes but man, I got to stick my head in that rabbit hole of Catholic youth ministry, both locally and nationally, and really saw how big it was. And it kind of just grabbed a hold of my heart and it really changed who I was. I did that job for like seven years um, and it was profound. It was a profound experience. That's awesome. So, you you know, you say sticking your head into the Catholic youth ministry, national and locally. What is that like and what's the difference between the two of, of working lo- very localized and then working at a national level? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think I think it's very easy in youth ministry, especially whether you're with a cluster or a diocese or local with a parish to think that that is the universe yeah. and that that is the only way that things work. And what we do sometimes, and it actually comes from a little bit of ego, is we're like, oh, I'm the only one doing this this way. And when you get drawn into, you know, a national conference or a or a committee work or something like that, you realize, oh, wow, there's like crazy smart people that have been doing this longer than I have that have crossed the bridges that I'm crossing and that have a better long-term plan than what I could create. And then instead of getting, instead of being guarded and arrogant about it, um, I I was blessed with the opportunity to say, whoa, I have a lot to learn from you. Mm -hmm. And I got to sit at tables with people that were really giants at the time in Catholic youth ministry. Mark Passioni from Baltimore, Frank Mercadante out of Chicago, Dobie Moser out of Cleveland. Um, there, there were people that were doing things that were exponentially bigger than what I was a part of. And I was able to glean ideas from what they accomplished and bring them home. And I really believe it was the secret sauce to my success as a young youth minister and as a diocesan director, because I was humble about it. And I got to tell you, Nick, that's not the norm. Yeah. I mean, I, I work at the new diocesan directors Institute every year. I, I emcee this incredible event where people that are new in youth ministry, at a diocesan level come together. And I would say every year there's a good solid handful, about three to five of them that can't actually fit through the door because their ego is so big big. and they believe, they believe that they are the only one who knows what they're doing and that they have nothing to learn. And it's literally laughable because you see them just implode within about two years realizing, Oh, actually there's people that have been doing this for decades better than you are yeah. and you and you refuse to learn from them and and it, it just it, the lord has such a beautiful way of humbling us so i learned a lot in my first 10 15 years for sure that's so uh, amazing and it, i think it speaks to a lot of your leadership of just being able to look at the things going on at the national level diocesan wise ministry wise and then pull the good nuggets from those areas yeah. What's like the number one thing that you learned from that time? Oh, as a diocesan director, 
I think that we were operating from a model of youth leadership development that was very outdated. Mm. So a lot of dioceses had these sort of groups of teens that would sort of gather like a couple times a year or once a month. And they were like the, you know, the CYC council or, you know, whatever they would be called. Yeah. And what was happening was they really just ended up being kind of like an arrogant little pocket of teens that began to disengage from their parishes and only engage in these sort of diocesan things. And that was system was broken. Hmm. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the diocese of Beaumont, Texas. I spent some time in uh, with, with leadership from Rochester, New York, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and I sort of I sort of saw what they were doing to develop youth leadership better. And I was coming from my 55,000 square miles, super rural diocese thinking there could be a balance between great diocesan youth leadership development and great rural parish youth ministry. We have to find the, the balance. And so yeah. we did. We developed it over about a five year period where we were able to no no more application processes, no more elections. We just said any young person. That wants to grow in, in discipleship and leadership, come be a part of this ministry. But this ministry is emphatically focused on local enrichment. So mm-hmm. I got buy-in, not only from teens, but from the youth ministry leadership that was like, whoa, when our kids go be a part of this, they come back and they they rebuild our local youth ministry. In fact, he's so emphatic about it. When they don't do that, we just remove them from the ministry. So we draw really firm lines in the sand and that ministry exploded. Uh, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, that ministry was, you know, 28 kids. Um, at, at one point, it ended up being 121 youth that represented, uh, you know, 80% of the parishes in our diocese. So when I would work with those teens and I would ask them a question, my bishop knew that he was getting a very clear understanding of the field and its needs. And as a result, it made him a better bishop. And he knows it. And he would say that. He would say, I know where the young people stand because I have access to their leadership and I know that they're going home and developing great ministry. That was probably the greatest thing we ever did. We did some great stuff with Native American outreach and things like that. But that Youth Leadership Institute, the revitalizing of that, I think it was a game changer. And yeah. I think it's a model that a lot of people, I think a lot of diocesan directors are a little lazy when it comes to youth leadership development because it's a lot of work. But man, the fruit is just 50 Huge. fold. It really is. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think something that I've really learned from you um, just in the time that we've known each other is, yes, have this amazing fire and zeal about bringing a mission of the gospel to everywhere you For go sure. in ministry, but balance that with the practicality of this is how we actually get things done. And yeah. that that I've taken away from you um, have, has been hugely, hugely um, helpful to me in my ministry, making things awesome. less about like, you know, they're going to walk away with this, this amazing, like emotional feeling or, or whatever, right, right, right. you know, you think of when you think of like a, a good experience at a retreat or what have you. Right. Um, but actually, how can we actually make this sustainable practically sure. for a person to actually live the gospel in their life? Can you talk about what advice you have for just being a practical minister and not just so over the top with with mission in the sense that it's just fluffy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's a loaded question. Uh, and maybe not a very popular one either. Um, I think I think I've said this a hundred times that my favorite youth ministers are 65 years old because they just don't care what you think about them. They yeah. just don't care. They're just not they're just not they're not even remotely interested in your pop culture. Mm-hmm. And in your in your language and in your and yeah. in, in those things, they 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 just are going to love you. They're just going to love you just because of who you are. 
and they're and a lot of times older youth ministers that have been around a while that are good at what they do, they're very they're so focused on the personal spiritual development of the young person that they can really prioritize that in their giftedness. I think one of the things that we've done poorly is we haven't taught young people how to have a prayer life. And I think in my my later years as a diocesan director, I mean, you should have seen me in the 90s, man. I wore Birkenstocks every day. I had a ponytail. It was outstanding. I was the coolest kid on the block. And I could get all kinds of young people. I could inspire all kinds of young people. But the but the reality was, was I was I walking with them? Was I rode to Emmaus walking with them and developing their personal spirituality so that, you know, their time with me was a minute. And the rest of their life was eons. And they needed to have the foundation of great spirituality to be able to navigate that time. It took me a long time to realize that my job as a youth minister was to build the foundations of a long-term spiritual life. And I think the last few years that I was in diocesan direction, to a fault, we would work with young people on how is your prayer life? What are you doing? How are you growing daily? How are you using your phone as an instrument of faith? What does it mean to frequent the sacraments? How are you growing? If your prayer life when you're 17 is the same as when you were 16, I failed you. How can you continue? And that changed the landscape of youth ministry for me. Some of my best friends in youth ministry, Robert Fiducia with Declan Ware, Jerry White, Diocese of Charleston, they've really embraced that ideology too. Like we have got to teach young people to encounter spirituality daily and everything else will follow. Good catechesis, good community, good mission living. I'd rather have a spiritually grounded teen go to a Steubenville conference and walk away going, wow, what a profound experience of the Eucharist and community. I can't wait to grow. Then have a teen go and say, oh my gosh, I cried my eyes out. It was amazing. And now life sucks until the next Steubenville conference. Yeah. And that, that's that a complete talk by failure. such complete and such failure. person was so good. Yeah. Have it focused yeah. on Christ. And it's yeah. such a good point that like their time with you is a moment. Their time with yeah, Christ right. should be forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. powerful, man. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's something else I just think you could speak a lot to. Um, you know, people go to these conferences, and it's almost like you're taking a step forward and then a step, or two steps forward, one step back, right? Because they have these amazing experiences that I, I had a huge conversion on a, on a Steubenville conference. Sure, um, yeah. A lot of people did. A lot of yeah. vocations. Vocations Ama- are born there. Yeah. Amazing, amazing conference. Love it. But I think sometimes at these conferences, there is also this dynamic in a teen's mind it happened to me i think was you know you see this conference happening and you think holiness is i need to get on that stage um, yeah can you talk yeah. to that at all and, and we've had some discussions yeah, be careful on that. i don't know are we allowed to use curse words on your podcast Go ahead. no i'm just kidding i'm kidding <laughs> totally kidding i don't want to change your rating um yeah no i i mean i first of all i want to say i'm a big advocate for events because i believe in them i actually think i think the culmination of great community gathering is fantastic i think what life team does steubenville i think the national catholic youth conference i think the i think these are great things and i'm not going to demonize them because i have seen the value and i've seen the conversion yeah. what yeah. i get frustrated with is is a couple of things. One, as a youth minister, if I'm bringing a teen to a conference, there's a few things I would do. Number one, I would have the teens set expectations. So I would have the teens physically write down or say to me physically, hey, what do I hope to experience at this conference? Because that changes everything. Because if their hope is to go have an emotional breakdown, as a youth minister, I would go, that's not healthy. Um, (laughs) How can I talk to you about that? But if their hope is like, I really want to get to know the Lord better, I'm going to be like, great, because this is going to be a great opportunity for you to do that. And then I'm going to check in with them at the experience. How are you doing with your goal? Like, how are you doing with what you wanted to see? Oh, when, you know, this person spoke or, 
the silence that this is sacramental experience. And I was like, great, write that down, cherish that. That's beautiful. Let's go do that. I would very loudly and very clearly dispel the idea that Catholic quote unquote celebrity garbage uh, has, has a whole lot of value to the long-term benefits of a person's spirituality. Um, I'm not a fan of itinerant ministry. Um, I travel and speak, but I have a full-time job. Like I don't, I don't like want to live on the road, you know, guy and a guitar and a website. I think it's weird. Yeah. All, all great ministers, even St. Paul, you know, who was itinerant was deeply, deeply grounded in faith yeah. community and existed for the purpose of a unified mission. I think what happens a lot of times is people think that that itinerant world and that itinerant lifestyle is like some glorious gift to the church when I think it's problematic. If you go to work in ministry and you work hard and the field sees what you're doing, the field will call you out and say, wow, you have something to say. Would you please share that in this space? And then you do so. And then you go back to work. And if the field keeps calling you and says, from your experiences, you really have a gift to give. Would you please continue to share? Then you can discern how much of your work and how much of the sharing of your work you want to balance. This is academia's model of this. What we do is we graduate undergrad. We don't want to have a job for a living. So we travel, we live in people's basements and then we travel around speaking to teens. And it makes me concerned because I don't know what community you're speaking on behalf of. Also, your life experience at the age of 22 and you're keynoting for teens. Man, I don't know. I I get, I get a little bit nervous about that. But if you're an entertainer, and what they need is for you to entertain young people, knock yourself out, right. go entertain. But I struggle with that ideology because I don't think it's helping the church. I actually think it's hindering it. Um, if we're not pointing kids back to sacramental encounter, daily spirituality, if we're not encouraging them to to gain wisdom, to grow catechetically, I'm not sure really what we're doing in the long term. So I'm not a big fan, not a big fan of the yeah. itinerant weirdness. Also, that has led to a lot of divorce and it's led to a lot of unemployment as soon as they're no longer relevant. And yeah. that's scary. So it's like, man, yeah. go to work. Just For, go to work. Seriously. You know? Yeah. That I think there's a lot of a lot of young people out there who maybe have that feeling after coming to a youth conference that they they drawn into that type of uh, of work sure. or they're inspired by that work so they want to do it as well. But I think like 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 you just kind of said at the end there if you look behind the curtain and it's sometimes, especially for the person doing that type of work, it, it does lead them to a lot of struggle um, and a lot of pain in their personal life and, and their marriages. Um, and so it's, it's something that definitely needs to be thought about. Just says, yeah, I, I think and that's our job, right, Nick? I mean, yeah. diocesan directors, youth ministers, our job is to set the bar. Our job is to kind of filter out the message. Our job is to is to say it's great that you want to do this, but I would encourage you to join an apostolic movement and be yeah. very active in its promulgation or get into parish work and struggle through the difficulties of burnt coffee and stacking chairs right. and everything that comes with parish work yeah. and realize that the church is not a stage and yeah. that the church is not a conference. Yeah. Um, you know, but I say that with some reservation because I, I don't like sometimes youth ministers will retaliate and say, yeah, we should never have speakers we should always use local talent. Hey, right. there's probably great I I there's probably people that are great and local, but I can tell you right now, I am a fan of good speaking. Absolutely. And I yeah. I'll tell you what, I love seeing a great speaker who is usually a highly educated author yeah. or someone who's working in the field and speaks when they're invited because it promulgates the mission of their ministry. That's usually in my opinion 100%. the people that really rock my world. Where I'm yeah. like, "Whoa, you are great." When I see somebody who's just trying to make it 
with their guitar, I'm like, that's cute. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wish you the best. Yeah. Um, there's not really a market for Catholic music. It doesn't really exist. So just traveling around from place to place, I'm not sure that that's what the church needs. The church yeah. needs long-term sustainable relationships. For it's hard sure. to do when you're living in an airplane, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot to that though. There's a lot more to that. There, There's a lot to that. I, I just, I love that Tommy. It's very interesting to me. And I think it's um something that I, I really realized that when I uh, got to know Chris Padgett, um, I was youth minister to his kids and he moved into the parish I was working at, at a previous parish. Um, and he really lit up the light bulb for me because he said to me, Nick, you know, I'm just a spark in the fire. You are the one that's going to cultivate it. You're the one who's going to have to you know, put the things in place that is really going to develop this, these teens spiritual life. Yeah. That's um, great. So focused on that. And it was, it was great. And, you know, Chris was a great mentor to me and my wife and really helped their marriage. So then you, you did a lot of work with youth ministry at the local level at the parish. You, you went into the diocese um, at Helena, Montana, correct? Yep. Yep. And, and what, what was that experience like for you? What was the biggest takeaway from working in diocesan ministry that was different? Um, yeah, that's legit. Uh, that's a tough one. It, you, I, I'm not a subscriber to the thinking that you just give up direct service ministry when you go to a diocese. There are some dioceses that are literally skyscrapers. I mean, you actually are in, you know, the fifth floor in a cubicle. Right. And I understand that. But my that was not my experience. A lot of that was because it was a smaller diocese with access to a chancellor and access to a bishop. Uh, but you do definitely give up a lot of the direct service relationships, certainly with families that you once had. Diocesan work is middle management. And because you're a great uh, worker doesn't mean you're a great manager. That goes with any industry. Um, some people just struggle with, they just, they, they just, Oh, just let me do it. And then they want to do it, you know? And, and that, that mentality doesn't work in a chancery. You have to be, you have to understand that leadership development is actually more difficult than you just trying to do the thing. And I struggled with that. Certainly for my first three years was finding a balance between just let me do it versus like, wow, we really need to create long-term sustainable solutions here. How can I empower these people to be X, Y, and Z and, and be successful. And so tons of creativity, tons of innovation, I also had a bishop that was pretty supportive and I had a relationship with, and I can see where when you're in middle management, if upper management has no real relationship with you, that ceiling gets really low, really fast. And people will bail. They'll be like, I do not want to work at a chancery. Put me back in a parish when I can actually control my actions and control the amount of influence. I I got that freedom. I got it. I had it. I had the freedom to go, go, go. I had a Dossison uh, mentor that, that encouraged that type of thinking. I had a bishop that was that was leading fundraising mm, for wow. the sake of youth. You know, so I had stuff that was like really equipping me with the tools that fit my personality. But I, like I said, I work with diocesan directors every year and it's it's about 50-50. The ones that transition from parish and go, "Wow, I really like this," to the ones that are like, "Oh my gosh, give me my parish back." Yeah. I I would say this, I would say it's in my opinion, plenty of people disagree with this, but in my opinion, it's not a promotion. Yeah. Uh it's really it's really just another track. Like mm. it's it's just, it's a different way to do ministry. It's the difference between being a parochial vicar and, and maybe a, a pastor. I understand that canonically that is a promotion, but like the way you serve right. is just different. Um, yeah. Maybe it's more like being a parochial vicar and being a Monsignor, being a pastor and being a Monsignor, because all those things are just titles yeah. and the way you work is just different. Yeah. Um, and it's for some people, but it's not for a lot of people. You better be good at management 
or get read up on management and good management and leadership development and good listening and good practical project building. And I think that took me about three years. And I think by about the fourth year, we hit our stride. We were in a good place. We were growing. Um, we had buy-in from other clergy, which is key to successful chancery youth ministry. Yeah. Um, and I think it took a long time. It took a lot of handshakes, took living in my car, yeah. you know, just driving from place to place to be in relationships. So people would be like, now, who are you again? Yeah. Uh, and that would that made all the difference in the long term. Yeah, I relate to that. And I, I hear you on what, what you're saying in terms of it's not like a, a ladder. It's a different form of ministry. Different track. Because yep. For me, I mean, that if it was a ladder, I went down it because I started <laughs> at, at an apostolate <laughs> work, working with Hard as Nails Ministry and right, then right. went to the diocese, um, worked at, in the diocese of Syracuse and then went to the parish and have been in yeah. the parish ever since. That and might it, be a good thing. That might be, that's going to make, that's going to make you a great youth minister, man. It, I'll tell it, you what. It helped me have a, a, a different perspective that I'm really, really grateful for. For sure. Um, and I, I hear you. I think uh, you have to find where are your gifts going to be suited yeah. best? Yeah. Um, for sure. That's awesome. And so you did the diocesan work and now you are doing work with ODB Films and you've done some incredible stuff. And I, I, we personally brought you guys out. You came and did a parish mission for our parish. And it was it a was, blast. Yeah, we had a good time. It was awesome. You did a staff retreat and a core team retreat and it was, it was incredible. And I think some of the resources you guys have for parishes and for dioceses are amazing. And I think that the way Thanks. you guys use story to captivate an audience and draw them into Christ is, is, uh, I mean, it's unmatched. It's really, really well done that you, what the work you guys do. Um, and I think people can learn from you guys a way to tell captivating stories to draw people in at their parishes and dioceses. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. So tell, tell people more about ODB Films, how you got there, and some of the work you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, that's loaded. Um, I got here. I, I, when I left Dawson work, we... It was just time for transition. It was time for change. And uh, I wrote five letters to five companies that I liked and all five of them hired me. All five of them were like, hey, we'd love for you to do this. And then I was like, oh, I got five jobs. <laughs> and so I kind of figured out how to navigate all that. But then ODB stepped into Paul and uh, and the CEO, Eric Growth, who's also a dear friend, he just kind of looked me in the eye and said, it's time. Like, we want you full time. Let's make this happen. Uh, to which I said, wait, no, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> but he said, no, we're doing this anyway. Uh, and so, uh, so we jumped on board and that was in 20, um, tw late 2017. Uh, so th that position of ministry opened up a ton of doors to grab a hold of all of their different resources. But from that, from doing feature work, ODB is known for its short form work. Uh, I brought, I brought a podcast to them. I just said, Hey, I've been doing this for a little while. Does ODB films want this? I want to give it to ODB. I just want it to be an ODB thing. Eric was ecstatic. He said, this is great. This is a place that we should venture. My colleague, Katie Reedy, who's an extraordinary producer, unbelievably talented filmmaker, she suggested another podcast that we do that's on Sirius XM called Two Minute Takes, where we review films that are in the theater and just identify themes that can help you. Just, hey, go to the movie, go look for this theme. It's going to help you grow spiritually. That's really caught on. Um, that's been a real gift. Uh, but then we got into other projects, you know, and, and donors came around and, hey, what are you guys doing? And I started chipping in ideas. Um, one of the most exciting ones for us is I, I wanted there to be a, I wanted there to be a well-filmed series of Catholic Ted talks. I wanted, I wanted the Ted ethos of 18 minute deliberate talks to stimulate creativity and innovation in ministry. And we found a, br a brilliant partner in our Sunday visitor who said, this is great. Let's go do it. 
And now we're in the thick of that project and filming those and giving them all away. Um, we collaborated with an incredible distributor that we use called Five Stones, who's connected with St. Joseph's Communications to build the series that we brought to your parish yeah. called Restored Six Short Films About the Works of Mercy yeah. and a lots, of, lots of other things, but really pr- platformed on the Works of Mercy. We just signed on to do another short film series uh, really about the domestic church. We have two feature films brewing right now. Um, we're expanding the Catholic TED Talk idea into, uh, you know, like the like the TED Radio Hour, really developing that podcast so that our speakers cool. then have a platform to to talk about their respective ministries. Um, uh, we have another, you know, we have a couple other pitches for audio, kind of like This American Life yeah. type audio platforms that that want to celebrate the the use of scripture in the Catholic Church across the country. So there's just a ton of things, short form biographies. We've collaborated with Family Theater Productions out of L.A. on on a biography of father Patrick Payton, the priest who said the family that prays together stays together. And so we have our hands in like a ton of projects and then it's just all about money and timelines to when those things can get released. But we're proud of ourselves. I mean, since, since Paul we've produced, we'll produce every year. If you were producing as a production company, the size of us, if you were producing a feature film every three to five years, you would be like, overachieving yeah uh you know it's one thing for like Lionsgate and columbia and tristar and those like big names to produce a five films a year the reason that they do that is because they're buying other people's films mm. and then they're just releasing them but if you look on imdb and you look at like a director that you really like look at like chris nolan or look at tarantino they're not making a movie every year right they're making movies every three to five years because it takes that long to really develop so that's we're in the thick of that and we love every minute of it we are we are we are loving that we've dabbled in the feature space, that there's a future there for us, but we are a ministry first. And this is a big deal. We are not a film company that does ministry. We are a ministry that makes film and audio. And that really matters. Our our mission statement is fostering an encounter with Christ through artfully made spiritually rich films. That first and foremost is the encounter. And then second is through this channel, these channels. Right. And uh, I'm proud of that. I live that. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't work for this company if I didn't believe in its mission. And I try to live the mission. Yeah. Um, just this last year, we started dabbling in audiobooks. books. Uh, we just recorded our fourth audiobook. That's huge. That'll come out this spring. And so it's a never ending list of projects. And uh, how do we share the word? You know, how do yeah. we share Christ? Let's do it for every way we can think of. And so far, I feel like we're doing that. Certainly my boss thinks that way. He just laughs at how much travel and projects that we're navigating at every time. And ODB films is four people. Yeah. It's not, it's a, it's a four person nonprofit consecrated to Mary and the diocese of Rockford, Illinois. I mean, we're not some mega conglomerate and nor do we want to be right. We want to hire the best and then we want to hire the best to do the rest. And we're going to make sure that we're always brokering that mission through all of the projects that we do. That's cool. Yeah. Talk about ODB films and cause you work remote, correct? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I'm in Helena, Montana. Yeah. And then they, Eric's in uh, Chicago. St. Charles, Illinois. St. Yep. Charles, Illinois. Okay. So yeah. you guys are all remote and just kind of... Uh, Katie, Kate, my, my colleague Katie, she lives in Lamont, uh, right outside of Chicago. So she, she actually commutes to St. Charles about four days a week, but she does work from home as well. Yeah. Sometimes the city is just a mess. Right. Um, and then uh, Eric's wife, Becky, who is the founder of ODB with him, she comes in the office four days a week. And of course, they live in St. Charles together. Um, so I'm really the big remote, but I also travel the most. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter where I live. I'm going to be on the road anyway. Regardless. So. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Like we're remote working in ministry and Cool. It is yeah, yeah. Somebody write that book. I'll yeah, read it. I yeah, promise. seriously. Somebody write that book. That would be something uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, I would say it's 
the first year really stunk. I, I did not enjoy, um, I did not enjoy the lack of community. I, I had been in social work environments my entire career. There's something to say for grabbing the cup of coffee and poking your head in the window and engaging your colleagues and the, the freedom and the creativity that can come from that. Um, the watering hole, you know, when you go down you get the drink of water and you bump into someone, you chat about what they're doing. I really miss that. And, uh, we, we just kind of had to kind of find it digitally. I mean, my boss again is a, is a master communicator. My colleague is a master communicator. So it's very easy to jump on a phone with each other and constantly be in communication. And that's a gift. Uh, and also I would say you have to be disciplined. You have to, I have a routine. I am at my desk at 9 a.m. I am dressed for work and I have priorities for the day that I want to get done. And when I don't do that, it's a it's a it's a wasted day. If I think I'm just going to cruise through the day with no priorities, it's I blow it. I blow it every time. So there's got to be a sense of discipline. I think going to work at home with your flip flops and your pajamas (laughs) is a mistake. I think you got I think you got to dress for work and to, to be successful. And I think you have to hold a schedule. That you would be proud to have your your management in the next room checking in on you like, hey, what are you working on? Right. So Eric is one of the most hands-off, loving managers I've ever met. But we hold high expectations of each other, and I think that's what makes it functional. Um, then add in the cog of travel, right. and everything changes. Now you're not in your home office. You're on an airplane or you're in a hotel doing the event, and then that just screws up all kinds of structure but there's still a discipline that comes with travel. This is a travel day. I am out of pocket. I can't be here. But when I land, I'll do X, Y, and Z. And then I got to get ready for this event that I'm speaking at for six hours. Let's go do this, then move on. And these guys completely understand that. Like they know that that part of the job is real and exhausting as opposed to when I was working in a chancery and there was a little bit of travel it was kind of, hey, if you're not in the building, you're not working. Yeah. And that's preposterous. So to be working for people that understand that part of it, it's a both-end situation for us. And it's probably the most extreme affirming environment I've ever been in. And that's what cool. makes it all work. Because I think the work is pretty tiresome. But yeah. I also think it's pretty valuable. You know, That's cool. So you guys have done some really cool work that, that parishes can uh, use and benefit from. And I think one of the most well-known things that you've done recently is the Paul Apostle of Christ movie. And if people sure. haven't seen Paul Apostle of Christ, they've definitely maybe seen Passion of the Christ with Jim Caviezel, which you guys worked with him on that movie. Um, he played sure. Luke. And it was a really powerful movie. I told you when we met, um, when you came here in December, that it really transformed my mom's life. And she had a huge love that. Love conversion that experience from it. It yeah. was a great film. If you haven't seen it, go see Paul Apostle Christ. But, Doug, what what was that experience like filming that movie, working with some of those big name actors and putting that whole yeah. thing together? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm a VP. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not behind a camera or yelling action. I'm, I'm very much at the table of creativity and distribution. But uh, TJ Burden, the lead producer on Paul, is just an exceptionally talented young man. He's just brilliant. Katie Reedy, one of our producers. And of course, Eric is the executive producer. Um, it's hard to explain. Feature films are, are all consuming, all hands on deck, extremely exhausting. There's a million decisions that need to get made. I would say that that experience was was molded with the tears and the blood of a lot of people because, you know, they shot that thing in 26 days on the island of Malta. And uh, we had multiple times when 
uh, actors and actresses uh, didn't work out, you know, and you thought you were going to journey with them and then they were gone. I mean, in like a day yeah. and you were like, oh, my gosh, we had our entire mind <laughs> focused on this person and now they're gone. Yeah. James Faulkner came into the film like three days before shooting, <laughs> like as Paul. And we had journeyed with another actor for like two months. So it was and, and there was all kinds of drama with getting Caviezel. But I know it was spirit filled. I know it was spirit led. Um, you know, something about ODB is we we fast and we pray over our film projects every day. And we try to get as many people as possible praying. And we know the fruit of that. We know that there's fruit of that, that the Lord's going to bring us the actors and actresses that that are best suited for the films. And I, I tell people this, and it's really important that they know we are not going out of our way to hire Christian or Catholic actors and actresses. That is not that's not what we want to do. In fact, I would rather hire the best actor or actress, period. Uh, and be able to evangelize or be able to witness to that person, which is clearly what's taking place, not only on the Paul set, but on the set of our first feature film, Full of Grace. So it's hard to explain features, feature films uh, from the time that that movie is in the can to the time that it gets distributed to a theater. It can be, I mean, we did that in six months. That's the fastest that any Sony subsidiarity had ever turned a film around, ever. Uh, and, they, and it was stressful. And that was not a healthy environment. Like, they they should have given that film six more times six more months and a lot of things would have been a lot different but it's intense and you either kind of love it or you hate it and we love that the process can reach so many people so we're very committed um to to the feature process but you should know i mean before before anyone ever yells action there's probably a year to five years of work that goes into getting to that moment when that piece of equipment is used to actually capture what you intended to do. That's the part of the process that I am still very much a student of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love to learn about. You should see the stack of books behind me about film production, having come from youth ministry and not knowing that world. I had to learn a vocabulary to be able to participate successfully in that space. And I feel like we've done it, um, which is which is great. To many more in the future, for sure. That's awesome, man. Can you share any interesting stories of uh, things with filming that, that movie at all? <laughs> Yeah. uh, Yeah. There's there's some beautiful things. You know, Caviezel is a practicing Catholic. He's got his own kind of version of that, but he's he's practicing. And there's a scene at the very end when James Faulkner, Paul and and Jim Caviezel, Luke are, you know, they're sharing the bread and the wine. And I like to tell people that Caviezel, uh, he took some gaffing tape and he taped relics to the bottom of that table because he said, this is an altar. And this is what we do in the church. This is an altar of, you know, and James is not Christian. James was just like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> but for Jim, this was this was a Eucharistic moment, and he wanted that moment to be very real. Um, I love telling the story about Olivia Martinez. He's played Mauritius, Halle Berry's husband, very much not a Christian man, um, but had a profound experience on the set, was beloved, became close friends with James Faulkner, spent Easter together the wow. following Easter. Like, and he And he said publicly, he's never made friends on the set of a movie. You know, sets sets are weird. They're combative. Sometimes they're very competitive. They're also very self indulgent. Uh, and he and he felt like we had created an environment that was very beautiful and and good. And and that's important. And there are a ton of stories of crew members that just have never been treated that way, not yelled at, loved, advocated, supported, checked in with, encouraged, nourished. Uh, that those pieces are very very important to us. We have stories from the set of Full of Grace where the director of photography had a full-on conversion. He's like, this is the first time I've ever brought my family to a set. They never saw what I did for a living because it was such a gross, toxic environment. And my kids are loved here. And it's like, and you know, for my boss, Eric, he's like, that's what it's about. It's about taking this toxic, disgusting environment that is Hollywood and saying Christ 
can be here and can change the culture. That's a big deal for us. That's and huge. we take it seriously. That, yeah, we take it seriously. That's such a powerful witness. And I, yeah, that Full of Grace movie is another knockout. I remember watching that. We actually shared it with my middle school kids and it was just cool. so beautiful. Um, some of the moments in that, I mean, just so, so like <laughs> Catholic, just super Catholic. Very meditative. Yeah, yeah very it, meditative. It was, yeah. it was a really powerful film. Love that film. Oh, I'm glad. Glad you thought so. Yeah. So, Doug, when we first uh, got together and we we talked at the second Catholic Ministry Conference where I reached out to yep. you and said, hey, we worked for the yep. same guy. Let's meet and have breakfast. Uh, <laughs> we, we sat down. That was an awesome talk. But you gave me uh, an amazing advice to, to read something and to take something away. Oh, nice. And yeah. You told me to read Extreme Ownership. It changed like the By way Jocko I... Jocko Willink. Yeah, oh, yeah. Such, such, I'm still high on that book. Yeah. I, I love that book. I actually just gave it to one of my, my coworkers because she was asking about it because you talked at the staff retreat about it. And it was it, it, that's a game changer of a book. So talk about that book a little bit and how that's helped you and your work and your ministry. Um, and, and if there's any other books that you'd love to share with the listeners that they can take away with. Oh, nice. I think... Uh, I love that book because I my speaking style is very direct. It's just I'm not like a jerk, but I mean like just like let's just simplify, get to the point. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we over spiritualize things. Like we'll take a topic like leadership and we'll we'll make it into this like super complicated spiritual thing. This guy, you know, ex Navy SEAL, phenomenal business leader. The guy's a billionaire. I mean, everything he writes is a bestseller. I mean, he's 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 awesome. That book to me, I, I laid it right over the top of my 25 years of parish experience, and I was like, this is exactly what staffs need to understand about good leadership. It is this. And his experience, Jocko's experience comes out of a military, an extreme military environment, but very typical military is this is it. Do this. This works. And I don't think that we do that in church. We're kind of, we're like, Oh, we're always worried about hurting each other's feelings or, or, you know, destructing harmony when really what he's saying is if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen as a result. And I don't think that we draw that line in the sand very often and so I love that about Jocko. There was very little in that book that I didn't find practical and encouraging when it came to parish life. And I mean raw parish life. Yep. You're in your own offices. You have shared resources. You're fighting for budgets. Uh, you know, the constituency of the believer is is different than the buyer. But that all that language still functioned. And I loved it. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of leadership books that I think are great. I'm a big John Acuff fan. I think John Acuff writes a lot of good stuff about not giving up on your dreams. And in ministry, sometimes we have a big idea. Then it gets kind of poo-pooed and then we just bail on it and we get upset. And ACAF's thing is like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I like that. I think that way. Uh, I'm reading Papal Economics right now. And that book is brilliant. It is a brilliant extrapolation of like church documents and social politics. Hmm. And I will say this, fair warning, it's not for the lightheaded. Like it. I've had to reread sections a couple times with a pen. Like, what did he just say? Like, I don't, but he takes this exhaustive look at the, I mean, all the way back to Rerum Novarum to, to all the way to Pope Francis. Like, here's what the church has said about being social and why it matters. And it is helping me so much in an election year Mm -hmm. to be much more rooted in what the teachings of the church are. I, I just, I have, I do not care at all about your favorite Pope or whatever, you know, whatever that garbage is. If you read the documents and what the church has taught and how consistent it has taught it, it will actually make you into a pretty profoundly political person that has no party. Hmm. I mean, if you, if you, if you dial into the beauty of the church, 
we should be political orphans. Like, and, and if enough people really dig into the beauty of those teachings, we would change what we've had to just sort of like digest these last couple years of real violent divisiveness and things like that. So this book is blowing my mind and I'm taking it pretty slow. I've been into this book for like a month, like chapter at a time, yeah. section at a time, but I love it. Papal economics. Good stuff. That's awesome, man. Dude, I love that. So um, now you've done all this work in ministry, parish life, diocesan life. Now what you're doing with ODB films, you continue to do amazing work and then boom, you're dead. You know, and your life right? comes. That's how it's that gonna, goes, right? It's, it's going to happen, right? So you're dead, but you get the chance to come back and you get to choose. You're the patron saint of what? Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Broomball. Broomball. <laughs> that's amazing. Why uh, no, broomball? That's a, that's a joke. That's a joke with Nick because I, I host my own broomball <laughs> yeah. league. Uh, no, man, I want to no, be the patron saint of youth ministry. I mean, I want to be – yeah, I want, I want to uh, – I want my contribution to adolescent care to have been something that mattered, uh, certainly in the domestic United States. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to be uh, creativity and innovation in ministry is my heart. That's my blood. But the way that we serve young people, the way that we treat young people, the way that we listen to them and encourage, um, you know, strategic approaches to serving them, I, it matters to me. Um, or, you know, or, or dads, you know, I want to be the patron saint of dads, patron saint of husbands. That there's a way to be a lay ecclesial man in the modern church um, that's functional and real and raw and still giving and loving and still what the Lord intended. I mean, I'm a sinner like anybody else, and I'm full of bad habits like anybody else. But I, I want to believe that at the end of the day, there's still good mission that that is certainly raising my daughters to be the women that that the Lord wants them to be and and being able to receive their graces as, as I grow older. That stuff matters to me. I think about it a lot. Yeah. You know? That's awesome, man. So it- – just to close, you know, I, I think right now everyone's talking about the coronavirus. And so I just wanted <laughs> right? to talk with you for a second about right, course, your thoughts right? on it. Because you posted a, a, a hilarious thing on uh, Twitter. On, right? Speaking to your bluntness and your directness of, of the realities of the world, you said. Seriously, though. You posted this picture. And I think it was a stock image or something. I don't know. But it says, this is Bob. Bob is not panicking. Bob listens to scientists instead of news media. Bob isn't buying <laughs> items in bulk. Bob washes his hands all year long because he knows it's he's not gross and he knows basic hygiene. Be like Bob. <laughs> be like Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how about we just be smart is what your comment was on that. So talk about the coronavirus and how you're feeling about it for everybody yeah, out hey, there. Listen, it's, you know, SARS, H1N1, it's all gross and bad. And uh, uh, I think my bigger critique there is, yeah, you can take care of yourself, practice good hygiene. I travel once a week. I mean, I'm flying once a week these days. And I mean, just be smart, you know, yep. um, also do, don't buy into the hype. I mean, I, I, I mean, p- people that are susceptible to dying of the flu are going to die of the coronavirus. That, that would be called science. Yeah. That's what scientists have said. But like, you know, I saw some headline today from some, um, I don't know if it was CNN or whatever. It was like, is this how we all die? <laughs> and all, and all you're doing is you're just, you're creating a fear base that destroys a uh, community. Um, I do think that the loss of sick days in the workplace has led to the rapid spread of all kinds of sickness and that it's so sad that our labor, our laborers can't take a day to be home when they're sick. They feel like they have to work because it affects their finances. That to me is uh, that's a justice issue. Uh, and you know, I'm a, I'm a social justice Catholic guy. So that, that to me, I kind of go, Oh, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, you should have a paid sick day. That's nothing but a paid sick day. Not that you just put towards vacation. So that has, I mean, there's data to back that up, has led to 
a lot of the destruction. But I got to tell you, it breaks my heart because we're going to lose out on some opportunities in the next couple of months where people are reacting yeah. to the virus and that we're not going to get to be in community. And that is devastating to me. Um, yeah. I certainly pray for our elderly and, and those that are susceptible to the to death by this sickness. But um, it's not the numbers are not uh, outweighing previous experiences. And fear is the opposite of love. And uh, and we have done a good job in the last couple of weeks of absolutely stirring up a lot of fear. So I, that just feels like a bunch of BS to me. I just think people need to relax, take care of themselves and do the right thing. And let's make sure that, you know, our scientists are focused on the good work that they can do to help us with this virus. It's going to happen. It's going to pass. Absolutely. It's going to be OK. You know, I, I just uh, the fear factor drives me bananas. Yeah. Be like Bob, Nick. Be, be like, like Bob. Bob. We got to be like Bob. Uh, Doug, so I just want to say and acknowledge you and thank you so much because I think it's my it, pleasure, sincerely. Thank you for being on here and thank you so much for the work that you're doing and just the 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 guy you are in your life. I think in the time that I've known you, every single time we've talked, you've been really able to to just give me something to, to walk away to better myself um, from the man thank I you was for that. before. It's nice of you. Yeah, you you've really you really helped me in the past couple of years. Um, knowing you and having some time to talk with you. So thank you so much for what you do. And and everybody, if you have not checked out ODB Films, um, go to their website. It's odbfilms.com. Yeah. Yeah, go to yep. odbfilms.com and check out what they're doing. They're doing amazing work, amazing resources for your parish, the restored programs and all the great, amazing content they're putting out there. And gosh, I'll tell you what, we had a dug out for a parish mission and a staff retreat and a core team retreat for our youth program. And it was transformative. And if you, if you need something like that, highly recommend reaching out to those guys. They are doing amazing work. So, uh, check them out and check out the Renovo podcast because it's really awesome. And if you're going to a film yeah, this weekend, yeah. check out two minute takes. There it is. It's, yep. it's good yep. stuff. It's good stuff. All right, Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Nick. Everyone, we will see you on another episode of The Nick Longo Show. And thank you for being with us. <laughs>